Well, as we know, no one gets out alive, but what if you could make your loved ones live forever? I'm thinking that's the premise behind director Kirsten Johnson's new documentary, Dick Johnson is Dead. It's playing in this year's U.S. documentary competition. Kirsten joins us now in the studio. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. Hi, I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, so how is your dad? Is he okay? My dad is in sort of year four or five of dementia, so he is extraordinary because he loves life so much. He's got this incredible spirit, and he doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know the movie is showing, but once the movie starts, he says he's in heaven. <laughs> so I, I haven't seen the film, so tell us about it. One of the one of the reviews I did read said it was a heartfelt cinema, uh, cinematic eulogy, a touching eulogy to a man still alive. Well, you know, in my mind, it's a bit of an experiment. I'm using cinema to help me figure out how to live these last years with my father. And when I made Camera Person, um, which was here in 2016, we had this moment in the film where we cut a shot of my, a box of my mother's ashes um, in front of a shot of her uh, alive, albeit in the last stages of her dementia. And it was footage I hadn't seen since I'd shot it 10 years earlier. And when we put it into the film, I had this sensation that she came back to life. Um, so I, I've been thinking a lot about cinema's potential to keep people alive. I think a lot about how alive Buster Keaton is for all of us. Yeah, so again, I mean, given that your dad has dementia, I mean, do you, did you need any special permission to... Great get- question. You know, I mean, when we started this project... The idea of the project was, we're going to kill my father over and over again until he really dies. And at the very beginning of the project, I would say, he may have been showing the signs of dementia, but I was not ready to see them yet because I had lived through seven years of Alzheimer's with my mother. And I was like, I am not doing this again. Um, My father has a great sense of humor. He's loved Monty Python, Groundhog Day, Young Frankenstein. you know, he, he is someone who laughs at life, and we've had a great complicity all of our lives. My father's a psychiatrist, so he's really interested in the strangeness of life. So he was game from the very beginning. I had to talk to my brother a lot about it, and along the way, we were always questioning ourselves of whether it was okay or not to do the things we were doing, um, but my dad really had a blast. Um, and he also had moments of utter confusion um, because we were creating realities. Um, We create heaven, we create hell in this movie, and um, we try to understand how we can be in that space. So did any of these kind of uh, scenes that you said about killing your dad, did he come up with any of them? Yeah, we did. We talked about, you know, it's funny, um, we talked about GLFs, which are ground level falls, which is the way that most people in their old age die. You fall and trip and hit your head or you break your hip and then you've got to go to the hospital. And my father was born without toes. And so he's always, you know, he has these teeny, teeny, tiny little um, feet. And so he's always been precarious. He's always been on the verge of falling. And so we joke a lot about that, about how he's going to go. It's like, it's definitely going to be tripping. So in the beginning, I had these grandiose sort of escapist fantasies about how to do the deaths. And of course, I wanted to work with stunt people and go to Hong Kong and have him fall out of a building on fire. But in fact, many of the deaths are completely banal and they're kind of the kind of accidents or deaths that would happen to an aging person. 
So how much is he in the film? Are you oh, it's all him. <laughs> I, I mean, or did you use stunts, though? I mean, yes, we did stunt- use stunts. I mean, for all of the, the stunts, right, you don't we want used stunt people. Exactly. Um, and um, so that was a fun process, casting for the people who would be his stunt doubles and sort of figuring out what were the alternate realities that we could create that would help the viewer connect with this challenge of how dementia alters our relationship to time. You know, my father is in the constant present. So one of the things that we did at one point was to film with a phantom camera in very, very slow motion um, so that, you know, a minute equaled four seconds. So we were sort of looking, stretching out time and looking at my father's emotional life in this very minute way. You had your family involved, uh, children, in, in the process. What was that experience like? You know, it's been an extraordinary way. My father lives with us. He moved from his home in Seattle and moved into our very small apartment in New York City. And it's been really a remarkable ongoing conversation between him and them uh, around death and dementia. So, you know, they're sort of always talking about what dad can remember or can't remember. And f- there was a there was a hilarious period where on the rides to school, they would all just riff on the ways they could all die. So even my children talking about like, what would be a spectacular way to die or a terrible way to die. And I just realized like, those are the kind of conversations families don't usually have with each other. Oh, right, right. It's, and, and so given what you watched your mom go through, it was like you were convinced that you had to do something different with your dad. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I was just, Dementia or Alzheimer's is such a gradual process. You just keep getting completely sideswiped by how painful the feelings are. Um, One of the stories I tell is uh, a moment where my mother was stroking my hair, and she said, oh, has Kirsten gone? And I said, no, I'm right here. And she said, oh, that's so funny. Your touch is reminding me of you. And this sort of poetic, absurdist, surrealist way in which dementia manifests I felt like it reminded me a lot of cinema's capacity and freedom to jump from something that feels just heart-wrenchingly painful to rather beautiful. Like, my mother knows me in all these ways. She, she still knows my touch, even though she doesn't recognize me. And that works for me. I'll take it. What's the reaction been like to the film? I have to say I'm utterly stunned because I, I did think of this as an experiment. I didn't, you know, we say these things in, in quotes like, is it going to work? Well, with this film... I knew it would be a failure. I can't stop my father's dementia. I can't stop him from dying. So this film starts with a premise of it is a failure on the most profound level. But that knowledge gave me this freedom to be playful and to go to places that are scary to go to. Um, And I just, in some ways, not knowing what the film would look like, I am surprised by the film itself. It's a very strange and sort of wacky film. But people's response has been knocking me out because a lot of people are saying to me they cry from the beginning to the end, only interrupted by it when they laugh. Or conversely, <laughs> people say they're laughing and then once in a while they're crying. Um, and part of my thought is, um, you know, the film opens with me saying, like, I cannot bear to lose this man. And I'm willing to sort of do anything to figure out a way out of this. And I've gotten these responses. Some people totally connect with that idea of there's someone in their lives they really don't want to lose. And then many people connect with the pain of, I never had that father or that parent that I 
you know, had that close a relationship to. So there's sort of a spectrum of how people are connecting to it that I'm finding really moving. I have just a couple of seconds of, um, I did read it was going to be on Netflix eventually. You're going to have a, a release first? Though? Yeah, we're kind of hoping for Father's Day feels feels funny. <laughs> oh, so will it go straight to Netflix? Then, well, I think to we're going to have a wonderful theatrical run, and maybe we'll mm-hmm. be even in some movie theaters in some cities. That would be wonderful. Okay. Because it is a collective grieving and laughing process. <laughs> well, you've got three more screenings here um, at Sundance, Wednesday at 9 a.m. at the Park Avenue Theater, Friday the 31st, 11.30 a.m. at the Egyptian, and then Saturday the 1st down in Salt Lake City at the Grand Theater at 12.15. Yeah, and one of yeah. those is a free screening, I'm pretty ah. sure, on Wednesday. So, yeah. Okay. Everybody come. Tune in and find out about some of the unknown and talented independent filmmakers from around the world. Join us for the Sundance Reel each weekday morning between 9 and 10. We'll highlight some of the most intriguing films being presented at this year's Sundance Film Festival. That's the Sundance Reel weekday mornings from 9 to 10 through January 31st, right here on KPCW or online, kpcw.org. The Sundance Reel is brought to you in part by Sundance Institute, presenting the 2020 Sundance Film Festival from January 23rd through February 2nd. And Acura, proud 10-year sponsor of the festival and supporter of independent film and music. Learn more at Acura.com.